Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Steve sitting in for Denny today, and we're pleased to be joined by Mary Meyer. Mary, good morning. I hope all is well. Good morning, Steve. Great to be here. How are you? Yeah, good. Good to visit with you. It looks like we have a lovely day. Uh, the clouds have thickened up a little bit in my backyard, but should be a great day to uh, get out in the yard and garden and uh, get some work done today. That's right. We uh, had a cold week last week, and, you know, we have many gardeners that were concerned about the cold weather with the spring bulbs that are coming up. But uh, we could see firsthand what happened with that uh, in this past 10 days because the snow was our friend. The snow was a great mulch and helped protect our uh, spring, the spring emerging bulbs from the even colder air temperatures that we had. So I think most people will be still very happy to see their crocus blooming and daffodils coming up now. Yeah, and as we pointed out on previous shows in the spring time, that uh, the, uh, the the these plants are very hardy and 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 they can, they can handle some cold temps. Yes, that's right. We see some damage that will come once we get into the mid twenties, especially with more tender flowers. Uh, and when we get into our fruit trees, that will start coming out now. The uh, plums. Uh, the prunus, cherries, and so on will start blooming, and then the uh, apples that come later. Those flowers are damaged about at 27 degrees, we think. 27, 25 is too cold for them. Uh, but our spring flowering bulbs, the crocus, they can take those temperatures. So sometimes we don't see damage on the early flowering uh, spring bulbs until it gets closer to uh, 20 degrees. So hopefully we've escaped those cold temperatures for this year. Our phone number on the program is 651-989-9226, 651-989-9226. And, of course, that's good for a call or text. Mary Meyer in today on our Smart Garden Show here on News Talk 830-WCCO. Let's go to the phone lines. Diane in Rush City, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Mary. Uh, this is the same old question. How do I get rid of Creeping Charlie, and when do I get rid of it? And we're about 150 feet from the lake, so I need something safe to use, and I'll hang up and listen. Thank you very much. 
Well, we usually usually recommend Creepy Charlie control in uh, the fall of the year. That is when um, you have the best chance of getting a good control. Creepy Charlie is just barely starting to grow now. So you'll see the small um, leaves coming out in it. Often they're a dark purple color when they come out early in the springtime. But if you want to use a chemical control, you really have to have a lot of green tissue there to take up the chemicals with the broadleaf weed killers that you should have two or three different kinds in combination together. That does the best control. Chemical control with Creeping Charlie usually takes a couple of applications. So it's really too early to put it on now. Um, We like to have temperatures that are more milder, up above 60 degrees, definitely above 50. The label on the uh, weed killers will tell you the temperature that it needs to be in order to be effective and will give you good recommendations on that. The chemical weed control um, is the best option for getting rid of Creeping Charlie. Uh, There is a whole other area you can uh, look at here is is thinking about uh, can I live with Creeping Charlie? Uh, how, uh, what else am I going to plant that is as aggressive or as uh, able to hold the soil as Creeping Charlie? So you really have to strategize about how you're going to overcome the conditions of um, what's there now that's helping the Creeping Charlie grow and other plants. So uh, I would I would encourage you to maybe just step back and take a long look at this. If it isn't an area that's encroaching on your neighbor's pristine lawn, uh, maybe consider how you can live with Creeping Charlie. Because as you said, you have a lake. Putting a pesticide on, herbicide on near that lake can um, can be problematic. So there are other ground covers. We have a lot of those on our extension website. And uh, you might be able to get by with planting other things and uh, have those compete aggressively with the Creeping Charlie. And by the way, it is extension.umn.edu, Yard and Gardens is uh, the search. Let's go to Pat in Arden Hills. Pat, you're on the air with Mary Meyer. Hello. Hi, good morning. I have two questions. Is it too early to plant grass seed? And uh, how about putting down uh, weed and feed? Is it too early for that? Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely too early for the weed and feed. I would wait for um, another couple of weeks on that. Um, but the, uh, the grass seed, it's, it's a little early what we see now with our soil temperatures because we had such a cold week. Our soil temperatures are still in the 40 degree range. Uh, we definitely want to have something above 50 before anything will germinate. And when it's closer to 60, you see more of that. Um, you could put some seed down this week, but you're not going to see really anything come up or uh, any uh, germination for probably another week. So hopefully that's helped a little early. Okay, very good. We'll have more with Mary Meyer in a moment. Quick break. We have more on our Smart Garden show with Mary Meyer coming up in a moment. The phone number is 651-989-9226. You can call or text our program, 651-989-9226. Here on News Talk, E3O, WCCO.
8.19 on a Saturday morning. We have cloud cover right now in the Twin Cities, uh, and we're expecting 63 degrees. Uh, some sprinkles later right now, 40 degrees here in the Twin Cities. Mary Meyer joining us on our Smart Garden Show, and let's go to the phone lines right now. Adeline, you're on the air. Hello. Would it be harmful to birds if I spread preen on my rock beds? The bird feeders are in close proximity. So I don't think that preen will really hurt your uh, the birds, per se, but it makes really quite a long residual in the soil underneath. You're going to have many things that will grow or grow well where you use preen. Um, they, it's a pre-emergence, so it works on seed. But we also know that if there's evidence of uh, root damage, on some of our other perennials and so on. But as far as what that does on birds, um, I'm not really sure. But um, it does it does a lot on uh, germinating plants, very effective on killing germinating plants. To uh, Dorothy in Minneapolis, you're on our Smart Garden Show with Mary Meyer. Hello. Hello. I have some brown patches in my lawn, and I know I've heard of snow mold, but I'm wondering what are they, what do you think they are, and what can I do about them? Uh, It might be snow mold at this point. Uh, Raking that will remove it, and then that actually won't uh, long-term problem that you have. Um, there is a disease called brown patch, which is another totally different disease. But for homeowners, we rarely have a problem with homeowners having disease problems in their lawns um, in Minnesota. So um, I would rake your lawn as soon as it's dry enough. Most lawns are dry enough now that you can rake your lawn, and um, that will stimulate new grass to grow. If the patches are larger than the size of your foot, you can consider reseeding, and uh, in the coming a couple of weeks, you can put down some additional uh, new lawn seed, but um, it's unlikely you need to do anything other than just rake. And uh, what about the power raking or removing thatch? Uh, some neighbors in my uh, neck of the woods have been out doing that, and it, it ju- just seems to destroy the yard, but uh, people do it. Um, you know, it can look really uh, devastating when you do it. Um, I can honestly say that if someone power thatched my front lawn, I would not have anything left. Uh, this is because I I have a fine fescue lawn, a lot of shade, and I don't have any thatch on my lawn. However, if you have an elite Kentucky bluegrass lawn, which tends to really grow with thatch, it produces way too much verbiage or green stuff, leaves, etc. That thatch buildup on a um, an, an elite Kentucky bluegrass lawn can be damaging. And so power raking for some high maintenance lawns is important. But lower maintenance lawns, um, the power raking is is usually not necessary. Now we go to the phones again here on our Smart Garden Show, Saturday mornings between 8 and 9, here on News Talk 830-WCCO. Chris in White Bear Lake, you're on the air with Mary Meyer. Hello. 
Hi, thanks for taking my call. I've got a, about a 25-foot evergreen in my backyard. About a month ago, I noticed that at the very top, uh, some of the needles are starting to fall off. And about two feet at the top, there's just bare branches now. Does that mean that the tree is dying? Um, or, I mean, is that a huge red flag, I guess is my question, that something needs to be done about it, or is that just kind of a natural process? It doesn't really sound natural, uh, Chris. Um, we see fall evergreens uh, in the fall will renew their foliage, and they'll have a lot of inner foliage will drop off in the fall, but we don't notice that um, in the spring. Um, the first thing you need to figure, well, you can always call an arborist, and many arborists uh, will give you a free estimate. They'll look at the tree. It's pretty high up, so it's kind of hard to see what's going on there, but they can um, give you free estimates, so I'd encourage you to think about that. Uh, the other thing is you've got to determine what type of evergreen you have because that's how you figure out what the problem is. And so if it's a pine or if it's a spruce or if it's an arborvita, whatever, that's really going to determine, uh, uh, limit the number of uh, problems that could be on that tree. So if you go to the extension.umn.edu website and look for what's wrong with my plant, you can look at pictures of uh, evergreen problems, and you might find something that looks close to what you have. Uh, that could be helpful, but I think an arborist will be the best bet. To the text line here in our Smart Garden Show, uh, what kind of hydrangea would you suggest for a sunny, small flower bed, something that stays a bit shorter and more compact? Well, the hydrangea uh, macrophylla, uh, that's the endless summer and the line of endless summers, are the smallest hydrangea. They uh, are the least consistent for blooming well for us in Minnesota. Our bigger, more tree and shrub-like hydrangeas, our paniculatas, our varescence, those are the big, bigger ones that are great flowers for us. But um, the the paniculate or the uh, macrophylla endless summer and the line of uh, endless summer ones are the ones that are short. From the text line again, uh, how soon can I plant gladiola bulbs that have been uh, started indoors? They're a few inches tall at this point in time. Oh, that's a good question. You know, those glads can tolerate uh, cool conditions. It's kind of a shock for them, though, to go outside from being 70 inside, outside of 40-degree soil temperatures. Um, I, I would wait another week. I'd, I'd wait till we're closer to the 1st of May to really put those out. Uh, good for you for starting them indoors. That means you're going to have the uh, flowers earlier. Um, a little follow-up to that. Can I remove the covering of leaves from plants in my flower garden at this point, or should I wait? Yes, uh, you can remove those. I think that the worst of our cold conditions are past. Um, I've been doing minimal or only about taking off about half of those leaves. In the past, I used to really clean up my flower beds, but um, I leave some of that for a mulch and for keeping the soil temperature, um, well, keeping the soil moisture higher. 
so you don't really have to be as much of a neat nick now in cleaning up your flower beds. It helps for overwintering insects and pollinators as well. But we're um, at the point where the, the worst of the cold hopefully is over. All right. I can't remember if we brought in Joyce from Gaylord. Joyce, if, uh, uh, you're on with Mary Meyer. Yes. Good morning, Mary. Mary, I have a question. Are there any pure white roses available? Usually I see red and pink and yellow, but I can't say I've seen white. And if there is, can they be planted now? Yes, I. Um, you can plant those when you can purchase them as a plant in a container from the garden center. You could also probably get bare root ones coming to you at mail order. There are white roses. There are actually a lot of them. I, I can't tell you one off the top of my head. What happens with roses is we often see a lot of changes in their petal color as the, they mature. And uh, breeders will take advantage of this in giving us flowers that have multiple colors. So it might be white when it starts to come out and then change to a light pink or a darker pink color. We see that color change on the introductions from Minnesota, the Sven Oli Adlina. Those uh, shrub roses are excellent for hardiness in Minnesota, and they have flower colors that change. But um, I'm sorry I can't give you a pure white recommendation, but... um, you can find that. I'm sure that they're out there. And within uh, the next couple of weeks, yes, you could uh, plant those outside. We have more with Mary Meyer coming up in a moment. It is our Smart Garden Show. And, of course, the website, extension.umn.edu, Yard and Gardens is a great uh, way to search. Uh, we have much more with Mary and, of course, your phone calls and text the number is 651-989-9226. Call or text 651-989-9226. Here on News Talk, 830-WCCO. Mary Meyer is in our Smart Garden show and a lot of great calls and texts already. And the number is 651-989-9226. Let's start with Diane and Delano. Good morning have a lilac bush and some tulips I would like to transplant from one property to another. Is now the time to do that? Uh, yes, you can do that. Uh, you are going to uh, sacrifice your bloom probably on both of those if you did it right now. So if, if you have options, I would wait until... Um, the tulips are definitely done blooming and have started to die back. Uh, in midsummer, they go completely dormant, and you can dig and move the tulips with no problem. Uh, the lilac, um, depending on how big it is, uh, that could be a big deal if it's a large shrub. But as, as it's starting to grow now in the springtime is um, a good time to do that, but it will probably affect uh, how many flowers you get on it. So I move the move the lilac as soon as you can, but with the tulips, if you can wait till uh, into June, that would be better. Yeah, Mary, I have tulips, and when they bloom, I let them 
uh, kind of do their thing for a month or so. And then after a while, I, I, I like to clean them up a little bit because as the season goes on, the, the leaves kind of wilt a little bit and wilt away. Is it okay to clean those up at some point uh, well after they bloom? Yes, you can do that. The, you want to leave them green as long as possible. Some of the bulb growers talk about leaving the foliage on for eight weeks after they flower. So if you can do that, you can have the patience for that. That's great. That's when the tulips really like it. But once they start to turn yellow and brown, uh, they have, have uh, done their thing for the season, and you can remove the foliage. To the phones again, we go to John in New Richmond. John, you're on the air with Mary Meyer. Hello. Uh, good morning, uh, Steve and Mary. Just a question on, it's probably an old question, potato bugs. I'm actually thinking about forgetting about potatoes this year because they because they uh, uh, they seem to uh, arrive even on other plants other than potatoes. Uh, potato bugs are a big problem. They are difficult to control. Uh, yeah, believe me, the commercial growers have to uh, be very vigilant about them. Uh, you know, if you have a small patch as a homeowner uh, picking them off, I know how ridiculous that sounds. That's, uh, that is one of the uh, biological controls. Uh, there are some biological uh, controls for the bug itself that you can use, but it's, it's something that you have to be really uh, vigilant about. Uh, I know many of our listeners have probably grown potatoes and enjoyed growing them, but uh, from a productivity standpoint, they remain one of the vegetables I think you can uh, you can always count in the grocery store for. Yeah, there's nothing like those uh, fresh uh, little baby tomatoes um, right out of the garden. That's about as good as it gets. Yeah. Great, great stuff. Um, from our text line, uh, th- th- we got this one right at the beginning of the program, and I want to make sure we get to it. Uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right. I'm not familiar with the plant. Uh, my Wagella bush needs to be pruned, and when should I do this? Yeah, this is the Wigelia. The Wigelia is the best time to actually prune that is, is after it flowers, just as it finishes flowering. So the buds, this is kind of one of our later spring bloomers, but it's uh, just after flowering is the best time to prune that. Now, this uh, Wardelia comes in a lot of different sizes now. They're new hybrids, and they're many different colors. It's one of the showiest uh, shrubs for flowering. So if you have a chance to get to the garden centers this year, uh, you'll see that. Um, and walking in the garden centers, looking at the plants, um, is one way to really uh, pick new plants for your garden. Very good. Uh, let's go to the phones again. Karen and Ramsey, you're on the air with Mary Meyer. Hello. Yes, thank you for taking my call. I have a ver- ver- I'm viburnum mohegan bush that I just had planted last year. It has little dried things on the ends. I'm wondering, should I be trimming that back? Yes, uh, that's the remains of the flowers from last year. And uh, you can prune those off if you want. Uh, Again, uh, if you do the pruning on viburnums after they flower, 
that's a good idea. I'm just trying to remember what time of year this particular Mohican flowers uh, in the spring. But um, either way, viburnums are a great, great plant to be planting more of. Many of these are native to Minnesota, and they have a, a beautiful flowers. They've got uh, berries on that the birds love. There's some of our native shrubs that really uh, we could plant more of. So pruning isn't critical on this plant. If you'd like to prune it, you can, but not necessary. Steve in the Hudson, you're up next with Mary Meyer here in our Smart Garden Show. Good morning, uh, Mary, and thank you for taking my call, and thank you for a really wonderful program. I have several types of fruit, including tart cherries, and I've had pretty bad luck with the tart cherries, and I'm thinking of replacing them with plums. I'm looking at the alderman plum and the black ice. I'm not sure if they will pollinate each other, but I guess I'll find out. But my question is, i got three pests that have been bothering my fruit, and I'm wondering how they're going to affect my plums. Uh, one is mold. Last year, my tart cherries got very moldy. The other pest is Japanese beetles. The other pest is these fruit flies. I think it's this invasive fruit fly that have just really destroyed my raspberries. I'm wondering how those three are going to affect my plums. Good question, Steve. Uh, thanks for your comments about the show. So these the fruits are so much fun to grow, but they are challenging. Uh, I thought when you talked about the cherries, you were going to ask me about the birds because the birds come in and they love the fruits, uh, these prunus fruits. Um, I haven't grown cherries as much as I've grown the plums, but I've had a little bit better luck with plums overall. But uh, you need as many plums as you can get to get that fruit set. They uh, they need cross-pollination. Black ice is more of a European. Alderman's got some uh, native heritage, so American plums. But I would encourage you, if you can get another one like the toka, T-O-K-A. Toka is a great pollinator to put in there that will really have a robust amount of pollen. You need a lot of pollen to get the fruit set on uh, the plums. And, yes, unfortunately, um, two of these three pests you probably could still have on your plums. The moldiness on the fruit, I don't think you'll see that as much on the plums. Um, Japanese beetles love the uh, prunus, and, unfortunately, those fruit flies. I would urge you to look at our extension website about the fruit flies and set up some traps where hopefully you can get a lot of those fruit flies into the traps that you can make and hopefully um, uh, control that uh, somewhat. That's the, the fruit flies, the spotted wing drosophila is a very difficult insect to control on our fruits. It does tend to like raspberries, I think, a bit more than plums. So you might not have as much of a problem with that. And, and Mary, is there anything that can be done in advance to control Japanese beetles? They're, they're not out right now, but I gave up growing grapes because of Japanese beetles. They they won the war. I, I threw up my hands and, and removed the grapes, unfortunately. But is there anything that can be done right now here in the spring to help control? Uh, not really. The The best thing to do is be vigilant uh, from about the 20th of June before they start to come out and try to get the earliest beetles that you 
uh, can control the earlier ones to try to reduce the swarms that will come later on. So it is a challenge. We do have a lot of pest management advice about the Japanese beetles and their life cycle on our website. I am hopeful that as we go through the years now with the Japanese beetles, um, they will wax and wane. So we will have some years are bad and some not so bad. Um, in the East Coast, they've lived with Japanese beetles for, um, you know, 50 years longer than we have. And that's what happens there. They just wax and wane. They're there. They're not there. But uh, management is, is definitely an issue. On They tend to love the fruits. And the website extension.umn.edu, extension.umn.edu. Mary Meyer is here, and we have so many texts, and we'll we'll jump back there right now. I have a Honeycrisp apple tree, and it had wormholes and tracks inside the fruit uh, a year ago. Do we need to spray the blooms so larva dies? Uh, what should we spray with, and and how often do we need to spray? Yes, there are a number of pests that will come on the apple trees, and uh, this might be apple maggot. That's one of our most common um, insect pests. Uh, sanitation and cleaning up around the base of the tree is something you could do right now. Make sure you remove all the foliage, the debris, uh, because a lot of times these insects will overwinter at the base of the tree. Uh, you can also put out traps that will, these are, these are balls that look like they're red apples and put a uh, tangle, uh, tangle foot on them, this sticky substance that will trap a lot of the um, adult flies themselves. The spraying is a really uh, a laborious process. It's multiple times at different stages as the flowers are coming out in the spring. So we do have the recommendations for spraying at extension.umn.edu. And if you look up uh, apples and uh, pest management for apples, you'll see that regime there. You need to spray with an all-purpose fruit spray. It has multiple combinations, two or three different chemicals in it. So having said all this with spraying, lots of uh, home uh, owners that grow apples will not use chemical sprays. They rely on sanitation, putting out those red traps that I talked about, and even going to the extent of bagging the apples in plastic bags that you cut a, a hole in the corner or buying bags that you can reuse and clean and just use to cover the fruit in your orchard. So this is what a homeowner does, but it's, um, it's a trade-off. You want those pesticides on your apples and then follow the waiting and time delay until you eat them? Or do you want to try some alternative methods and realize you will have uh, a few fruits that uh, you won't have perfect fruit on? It is a lot of work to get uh, good apples, that's for sure. But uh, well worth it uh, if, if you certainly put in the time and effort. Quick break. We have more on our Smart Garden Show with Mary Meyer. And the phone number is 651-989-9226. 651-989-9226. You can call or text. And we, we've got a lot more coming up on our Smart Garden Show here on News Talk, E3O, WCCO.
Smart Gardens continue with Mary Meyer here on News Talk, A3LWCCO. We're on the air each and every Saturday morning between 8 and 9 a.m. And, uh, Mary, I know uh, the Arboretum is not open to the public right now, but I'm sure it's a very busy place. Yes, uh, the things are just starting to bloom out at the Arboretum. The forsythia is starting to blooming. Uh, early spring bulbs are coming up there, and we hope before long the public will be able to come back uh, and enjoy the Arboretum. Until then, we do have quite a bit of information on our website. You can actually look at a new map that's up there to show you where things are blooming at the Arboretum and have pictures of the bulbs. And we have our nature notes which is a blog, which is a great thing to follow, where uh, photographers and some of the staff that are there have pictures of what's going on at the ARB. Yeah, outstanding, and we keep our fingers crossed because it's one of the great treasures here in the state of Minnesota, of the Landscape Arboretum. Let's go to Jim in Eden Prairie. Jim, you're on the air with Mary Meyer. Hello. Yes, good morning. See, uh, I'm looking at giving my... I have three grandchildren that are under the age of five, and uh, they got some gardening tools uh, for Easter. And so what I'm looking and thinking about doing is getting them started with something easy, and I'm thinking possibly doing cherry tomatoes. That way they can have them small and be able to eat them themselves and things like that. When is the best time or the proper time to plant them? Uh, we're probably going to be planting them in pots rather than in the ground uh, here in Eden Prairie or in Minneapolis. Good idea, Jim, with uh, working with those grandkids. So the cherry tomatoes, you really shouldn't put those outside until we get closer to the 10th of May. Uh, so I would, you know, you could, uh, if you can get those from garden centers, it's, uh, it's early to get them. I would wait till we're closer to May 1st to, to uh, think about putting those uh, in the pots. And then by mid-May, they should be uh, good to go for outside. I would encourage you to use things from seed that you could start right now. Uh, you could even try some uh, sunflowers. Uh, it's a little early, but, you know, kids love to just dig in the soil. So even encouraging them in an area, if you have this, that where you can plant outside in the ground, you might try in the ground sunflowers and sunflowers in some pots or containers. Uh, kids love planting seeds. If you can plant some seeds in some clear containers that are, are cups, that are uh, plastic cups, put those seeds down along the side of the container. Kids can then watch the roots grow down and the top grow up. And if you get a lot of those seeds in there, oh, take a couple out and have the kids take them apart, look at the different root hairs and so on on them. Uh, sunflowers, beans, and peas, those are really fun because they come really quickly. And kids like to see that action, and are, uh, it's really fun to watch them grow. The bottom, oh, the roots always start first. So to see the roots come and then the tops come later is fun. And, Mary, I've seen, speaking of sunflowers, uh, people incorporate those into their landscapes now. It, it's really a great look. Uh, it's a great look, and, and sunflowers are wonderful for many pollinators. Uh, many uh, butterflies love them. Bees love them. And there are hundreds of sunflowers. Uh, when I see sunflowers, most people are going to think about the uh, the big uh, mammoth ones that are, you know, 10 feet tall. 
But there are sunflowers that branch and have many flowers on that'll just be two, three feet tall. So there's a huge array of sunflowers. You can order the seeds online. You can go to uh, garden centers. We'll be opening up or selling things online that you can pick up. So uh, look at your local garden centers because they uh, they have changed how they're selling things, but they are they are going to have uh, hundreds, thousands of plants for us uh, as spring unfolds. To the phone lines again, Pauline in Minneapolis here on Smart Gardens with Mary Meyer. Um, hello, I ordered a um, butterfly weed from Burpee, which came already, and it's a perennial. Is it safe to plant in the ground as long as the soil is um, soft enough? So butterfly weed is a wonderful plant. This is our, one of our native uh, Asclepias or uh, milkweed plants. This has orange flowers on it and is, yeah, tough perennial. It likes well-drained soils, and it has a tap root, so it's pretty hard to uh, move around. Um, I would keep it inside for another couple of weeks. If you could put it outside in the shade or light filtered sun, get it gradually used to growing um, outdoors. Probably was in a greenhouse is my guess, uh, and then shipped to you. I would wait till after the 1st of May to plant it. Not that it's not hardy, but it's just that it's more of a greenhouse plant at this point. And so you want to gradually get it used to the cold temperatures. Uh, and hopefully it'll be a great perennial for you and attract a lot of butterflies. I, I, I know over the years when people grow seeds indoors, there's a process called hardening where you get uh, those plants used to being outside and in direct sunlight. Right, Steve, that's exactly right. And it, it's just a shock. You know, it's just like us going outside to uh, <laughs> to be in the sun in the summer. You know, we're not used to it. And especially if it's uh, colder than our house is, um, you can have chilling injury on plants that are really the, the tropicals or the warm temperature ones. So our tomatoes, pota- tomatoes peppers, and so on, really don't like it below 50 degrees. They like uh, warmer temperatures. But the cool season crops, lettuce, uh, kale, those are the ones we could think about planting from seed outside early now. And then uh, they they have the cold tolerance. Uh, from our text line, should I prune my raspberry bushes? I started them a year ago and didn't get any berries. I wouldn't worry about pruning those bushes. If you didn't have berries last year, I wouldn't worry about it. They're probably not big enough. Depending on if there are fall-blooming berries or or um, or uh, more the, the earlier uh, midsummer-blooming berries, the traditional uh, raspberries, um, depends on when you prune them. So we have lots of directions on pruning raspberries on our website at extension.umn.edu. You could just search in there for raspberries, and you'll see the pruning uh, depending on what kind you have. But because these are new, it's not pruning that's keeping them from um, from flowering. First, you're going to have need to have flowers, and then the fruit will come after that. So hopefully you'll get some this summer. 
All right, quick follow-up to what we were talking about, and this has to do with house plants. Uh, if, I, if I have a plant that I had indoors over the winter, but I want to bring it back out on the deck or the patio, um, can I, do I, should I wait for a warmer day like Wednesday when we're going to get, in, get into the 70s and just leave it out for a couple hours? What do you recommend? Yes, you can do that. On, 70, uh, on Wednesday, it can go out for a couple of hours in the shade. Sure. So don't don't put any of your plants out in the sun for the first day, the first unless they're in a screen porch or or some room okay. that's got some filtered light. So gradually get them used to those outdoor conditions again. And yes, it, it, you're going to have to move them in and out a few times um, as the weather warms up. All right, Mary, we're tight on time. Always great. Once again, the website again, uh, extension dot uman dot edu and search yard and garden there's so much great information have a great day mary you too always a pleasure steve thanks for having me all right mary meyer once again and uh, work uh, continues at the arboretum uh it is not open to the public but we'll, we'll certainly keep you up to date on when that day comes. Once again, extension.umn.edu. It is our Smart Garden Show each and every Saturday morning uh, here on News Talk, E3O-WCCO. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.